This morning, as we continue through the series, wonder our hope for you and for me that the birth of Jesus Christ will become fresh and anew for you, and that you'll reset your hard drives when you think about Christmas and the gift that came 2,000 years ago. And it is a birthday worth celebrating. And we're grateful that we get to lock out this time of the year in our world that we live in and celebrate Christmas because Jesus came to save our lives. Every promise that God has ever made, he's fulfilled, he's kept, or he's keeping. Now I want you to think about that for a second. We're more apt to be okay with the things that he has kept, but it's hard for us to respond to the promises that he's keeping. And there are many promises that he's still keeping. He's bringing, he'll bring about. We know or are familiar with the ones he's kept with us. It's the ones that he's keeping that will be fulfilled soon or maybe tomorrow or years from now that we find difficulty in holding on. We are a group of people that want instant gratification. We love being able to go online and order something that comes the next day free, no charge for for shipping. We love going through drive-throughs and we get instant food and we have to wait 34 seconds later than what the car behind us or in front of us, we get upset. We live in a world that wants something to happen now. We've lost our desire to wait and to wait on the Lord. We want instant gratification from everyone and even from our God. Yet those who wait upon the Lord, their strength shall be renewed. And we see in this Christmas story, there is some waiting that took place for Christ's prophecy of his birth to be fulfilled. It was a dark time, 400 years, no one spoke. And it was prophecy that was fulfilled many, many times over and over because it was projected and spoken by prophets in the Old Testament. But it took a while. But God was keeping his promise. And he's keeping his promise for you today, too. As we enter into this story, we will see that God is really the promise keeper. Grab your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 1, and I'll show you what I mean. And if you need a Bible, hold your hand up, or ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. But turn to Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 18 to 26 of Matthew chapter 1. And would you stand with me? It's the first book of the New Testament. We'll read this passage together. Matthew chapter 1. Verses 18 through 26. Would you stand with me? Let's read it together. Ready, read. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. You may have a seat. 
as we will see and as we see reading through this account quickly, that following Jesus often means denying things you might otherwise enjoy. Think about that for a second. Following Jesus may mean denying things that you otherwise enjoy. Wrap your mind around that. What Joseph and Mary were willing to do meant they would deny things that they could enjoy. Gone are the happy days for Mary when she said yes to being the mother of Jesus. Now the Bible says some translations have a betrothal period or pledge to be married period. What does that mean? That, that Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph and there was a betrothal period. The betrothal period is the Hebrew word kedushon, which means literally the couple would get legally married, but they had to wait a year before they were allowed to live or sleep together. Have you ever wondered why? Like why? Why not just go get married? Why not go ahead and take that on? Why, why wait? Why did there have to be this legal time of, of betrothal period or a time to be pledged to be married? Let me give you some background here and some history that's recorded to give you some context to understanding Jewish custom and Jewish law. Marriages were arranged in those days. Parents chose who they, their children were marrying. Some would say yes, and some would say boo. But they chose whom they were marrying. And when the parents chose a wife for their son, a huge price would be paid to the bride's family. Now, that's much different than it is today. Like if you had lots of daughters, the groom's family would pay you money so that he could marry your daughter. It's different now when you have daughters. I was at a wedding yesterday. I watched Molly Schwartz, one of our own, and, and Jared Templin get married. And that was Ken and Shayla's fourth daughter. And I thought, boy, I bet that cost him a lot of money with four daughters. But the truth is this. It was completely opposite during Jewish, Jewish custom. And so during this time, the groom's family would come and they would pay money to marry the bride. The parents paying the price wanted to make sure the bride was pure because it cost them a lot of money to make this happen. So they had to wait a year to make sure she wasn't pregnant. After a year was over, she could then move in and they could consummate the marriage. So there was this period. They wanted to make sure it cost them a lot of money. And so they wanted to make sure that the woman that their son was marrying was pure. And so they would wait a year before they consummated the marriage. But in the law during this time, and in the books, you were considered married during this time. And to get out of the betrothal period or the pledge to be period time, you had to get an official divorce, even though you never officially lived together. It was considered a marriage, you were betrothed to, you were pledged to this person. And so if there was any form of impurity or sexual impurity, you would get an official divorce. As we move on and consider the ramifications of Mary's pregnancy for Joseph, think about some of these thoughts. Did he love her enough to still marry her when he knew she was pregnant? Did he trust God 
and her more than his own reputation and dreams. You see, this cost him a lot during this time. It meant the people of the streets and the people of the community would most likely say he must have slept with her before this period of one year was over. So knowing that, it meant that his reputation and her reputation would be thrown into the garbage. He was willing to hear from God before he made his final decision. This is very important when it comes to waiting on the Lord. Let me show you what I mean. Look at Matthew chapter 1 again in verse 19. It says, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in his mind to divorce her quietly. So look at this. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. This is important, by the way, because he was going to quietly divorce her when the law said she should have been stoned. During this time, if the bride-to-be got pregnant, then you would, according to Deuteronomy, you would then take this woman and you would bring her out into the public square and she would have been stoned to death. So Joseph knew the customs of the law of the day of the Jewish law. But he considered quietly, it says, in his mind to privately divorce her. But he heard from God and the plan change. And by the way, it didn't make it easier. It made it more difficult. It's important here because how often do we have intentions or plans or dreams? And we say, this is what's going to happen. And if something goes left or right or south of our plans, we are very quickly to jump in and take control of the situation instead of waiting to hear from the Lord. And because he waited to hear from the Lord, an angel spoke to him and said to him that he should marry this woman. Look what it says again. But after verse 20, he had considered this, an angel appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Take Mary home as your wife. Divorce would have been an easier option out. Oh boy, how often do we do the same in these kinds of situations? Let's just get rid of the problem as quick as possible. Let me just speak about problems and how often those get negative connotations in our world. We often say things like this, boy, I hope you don't have any problems. I hope you don't have the problems that I had. As if somehow or for some reason that problems are a negative thing. But let's really pull away from that and expand upon that. When do you and I learn the most? When we have to solve a problem. And each time, like I even think of a car, how many times when something is going wrong with the vehicle, I'll begin to look at the vehicle because I know some things from the past. It's either gas or fuel or or electric. And I begin to problem solve. And then what do I do? I might go to YouTube and say, I hear this noise. And as I hear this noise, once I get to the end of it, there's a great satisfaction that comes because I've learned something from this problem that I had to walk through. 
And how many times have we grown and learned because we had to walk through a difficult situation? Problems in themselves aren't intrinsically bad. We live in a world that doesn't want to have any problem. Joseph had a problem. And he considered, his first thought was, I'll just divorce her quietly. But he waited on the Lord. And the Lord spoke to him. And he said, do not be afraid of this problem. This child who is being conceived in your wife is the Messiah. And by Joseph following through and marrying her, here's what it meant. Now, sometimes we lose sight of this. He was confessing the baby was actually his by doing this. Thus, it ruined both of their reputations in the community. You see, it wasn't just Mary, but by him saying, I'll follow through because they weren't in on this report, it meant that the community at large would think, Mary and Joseph must have slept together. And they went against Jewish custom and law of the day. He took a hit for his wife and was willing to suffer for her and with her. Boy, do we need these kind of men in our world. Shoulder the burden of our wives because we love them. Have you ever wondered this? And I have, as I've read this count numerous times. Did you ever wonder why God didn't gather the family, the parents, and the community and have an angel on a loudspeaker talking to everyone? <laughs> like, wouldn't it have been much better if, if, if the angel said, hey, go get your parents. Joe, go get your parents. Mary, go get mom and dad. Hey, in fact, while you're at it, get your uncles, get your friends. We're going to have a meeting at the town hall down in Bethlehem. Come, come. Wouldn't it have been much easier if they just said, now this is what is happening, and this is what is about to take place. Why didn't they gather the community at large? Because here's what we know about the Christian walk. It requires personal faith and trust in our God for us to believe that God can do it. You see, sometimes faith requires us to walk where most wouldn't walk. This decision by Joseph and Mary ruined their reputations. And from that point on, Mary was known as the impure girl that Joseph married. Can you imagine the gossip at the Jerusalem Starbucks? Think about it. We lose sight of this because we read it and, and somehow we, we over-spiritualize Mary and Joseph. But these were real human beings who loved each other, who were looking forward and planning for a wedding. And by the way, have you ever considered this? Nowhere in Scripture can we find that Joseph and Mary were vindicated of this rumor until the New Testament was written 30 to 40 years later. You see, Mark, the Gospel of Mark, was written in 66 to 70 A.D. Matthew and Luke was probably written between 85 and 90 A.D. And John wasn't written until 90 to 100 A.D. Stop and wrap your mind around that. You see, not everyone believed that Jesus was the Messiah during his life. So as best as they knew, Mary and Joseph were impure before their marriage. There wasn't the New Testament as we have. They couldn't go and read, well, well it's a good thing we know that this virgin was, was from God and Mary really did conceive by the Holy Spirit. Never do we see anywhere in Scripture until the resurrection where Mary was vindicated. And by the way, Joseph never was vindicated 
because he died before, as we can see from Scripture, he isn't there at the cross or the resurrection. Think about this. There was nothing glamorous about being the mother and father of Jesus. They didn't have a line saying, I'll take that one on. There weren't special discounts at the Jerusalem hardware store. But here's what I know about the vindication. Sometimes you never fully understand the greatness of someone until they're gone or they've left. Amen? No one fully understood the greatness of Joseph in his lifetime. That meant he lived his whole life, never once to be vindicated by believing and trusting and loving his wife, ruining his name, his reputation for the cause of Jesus Christ. And most likely he died before his death because he's not at the cross. In fact, John takes care of Mary. Why? Because Joseph is gone. I wonder if Mary's friends came and apologized to her at the resurrection. She didn't need their approval, though. She only needed God's approval. You see, don't lose sight of the humanness of this story. They gave up their wedding plans that were in motion and ended up alone on the run following Jesus was never meant to be easy. You see, there were festive celebrations and marriages. If you look in the New Testament, the wedding in Cana of Galilee, people brought in and, and they ate together and they had, they had buffets together and they drank together. Jesus' first miracle is recorded. When the, when the drink ran out, he made more and his mom looks at him and says, you can do this. And, and Jesus, see, these were festive family celebrations. And so there was great planning during that first year. And even I think about Molly's wedding, I think about our daughter Hannah's wedding and Johnny as they got, there was planning. Like we look forward to that day when they would say, I do, I do, I do. They gave all of that up to follow God. And they were 16 to 17-year-old teenagers. And from that point, everything changed for Mary and Joseph. They died to a good name. They lost their dream marriage and wedding, and they risked everything to follow Jesus. And you know what we do? Let's get rid of this problem. But he had in mind to privately divorce her. He considered it. But then he waited for the word from the Lord. At some point in this encounter, Joseph had to believe the impossible and risk his whole life on it. You see, sometimes we lose sight of this. He didn't get a how to raise a Messiah kit from Amazon either. I mean, how do you do that? Mary had to bear a son that wasn't her own. Have you ever processed that? You see, following Jesus is rarely convenient. All of us have the capacity to sacrifice, but we want happiness over holiness, but we must never lose sight of whom we are representing. Think about this. Do you realize his own siblings never really believed that he was the Messiah? And if they didn't believe he was the Messiah, what do you think they thought about their mom? You see in John chapter 7 and verse 5, 
John 7 and verse 5. It says even his siblings didn't believe that he was the Messiah. What do you think they thought of their mom and dad as they talked about the Messiah? They never believed it either. So there was a part of them must not even believed in their mom and their dad. You see, most of us have to believe it could really happen in order, and we want to see it before. But a pregnancy conceived with the Holy Spirit, there were not any previous test cases. You couldn't go to medical school and learn how this would happen. Virgin births were not found in scripture book or science books at Jerusalem High School. This, for me, might have been the greatest miracle of all, that two teenagers that loved each other had enough faith to believe it could happen. Listen, do you? Let me ask husbands, what kind of faith do you have as you lead your family? Are you pushing your wife forward and say, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe the word of God. Are you constantly dragging her down because of your lack of faith? You see, where are the leaders? Just picture this again and we lose sight of this, what's taking place in, 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 in Joseph's life. Virgin births were not found anywhere. Teenagers had enough faith to believe it could happen. We can trust God to do the impossible when the facts argue against it. Faith over fear. How about this? Joseph loved his wife with an unconditional love and she saw it. Can you imagine the months prior to the birth of the baby as the the baby was forming in the womb of Mary? Have you ever considered the spiritual assault that must have fallen upon Joseph's mind. You see, don't lose sight. The enemy tried to kill Christmas. We remember Herod tried to kill all the babies. Don't you dare think that he didn't try over and over and over to destroy this plan of God. Imagine if you can, this plan as it's unpacking. Imagine the thoughts going through Joseph's mind attacked from the enemy. The doubt, the lies, the words from the enemy that would come as he would be with his wife and she would glance across the road and look at another man. Did he ever consider, huh, maybe she's not pure and maybe there was someone else. You see, he's very human. How about when they got on social media and there was this guy that liked everything? Huh, why is he always liking all her posts? You see, isn't that when the enemy comes in and tries to cast seeds of doubts and lies. I believe that during this nine-month period was probably one of the greatest attacks and assaults of the enemy upon Joseph and Mary's mind. Why? Because he wanted to disrupt and destroy this plan. Stop and wrap your mind around that for a second. What that must have been like. This isn't your child. She slept with someone. You don't need this gossip anymore. You've suffered enough. Cut your ties, Joseph, and run. Get rid of this problem. You're a good man. You stayed pure. You don't deserve an impure woman. The spiritual attack they lived with was the worst part 
probably in this whole journey. You see, love looks beyond hardship, though. And look what it says. Look what the angel said. Look, look at this prophecy, which is very important. Verse 22, he says, And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And it says then, when Joseph woke up from this dream, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. He dreams, he wakes up, and now the next thing you know, he takes her home to be his wife. The betrothal pledge to be married period is over. And he did not have sex with her. That, my friend, might be the second greatest miracle recorded here. Come on, face it. You love someone? I cannot imagine waiting another period of time, nine months, and not consummating this relationship with my wife, Anne, after our wedding. But he loved God, and he loved his wife, and he believed in his God that somehow, some way, there was a baby being formed in the womb of his wife, and the Holy Spirit did it, and it wasn't by some other man. By naming the baby, he officially and legally took Jesus as his own son. You see, customs during this day, when a child was born, the father would come in and the father would name the child. And as soon as the father named the child, Jesus, Emmanuel, it meant, he said, that's my baby, that's my son, that's my child. And as soon as he named the child, like the angel had asked him to do, he bore the rights. He bore all the shame. He bore all the gossip. He stood for his wife, and he took on whatever they would throw at him. Why? Because he trusted in his God, and he was a teenager. And by marrying her, he broke all Jewish customs. And by staying pure with her, he protected the miracle of Jesus' conception by the Holy Spirit. Grace, hear me. This is a huge deal. It wasn't about his happiness and his pleasure. It was about the dignity and name of Jesus Christ. Mary wasn't any different I mean, look at Luke chapter 1. Just look at her response when when the angel comes to her and says, you're going to give birth to a a son, the Messiah. Look at Luke chapter 1. Look look at Luke chapter 1. And look at verse 38. This is her response. She says in Luke 1 verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Mary had every reason in the world to worry about Joseph. She had no idea how he would handle this news. But by saying yes, Mary risked losing the man she loved and her whole future was on the line. Don't lose sight of this. She was willing to give up everything, even the man that was to be her husband. I have no doubt Mary asked, why me? Have you ever wondered why her? 
I believe God chose her because he trusted her. He knew she was willing to believe the impossible. He knew she was willing to pay the price. Let me just ask a question. Would God choose you for those kind of things? Are you willing to stand in criticism way? Are you willing to take the heat for Jesus Christ because of your faith? Are you willing, in his case, to risk your reputation because of Jesus? Mary didn't know the full cost of saying yes, but she never looked back. She just believed God when it seemed impossible and all the pain she would feel 30 years later when the son she raised would die a brutal death on the cross. She believed something that had yet to be done. And that's the difference between people of faith and people who don't have faith. I know this to be true. God can do whatever he decides to do. If he wants to cause a virgin to conceive just one time in history, he can do that. And he can decide to do a one-time miracle for you too. He doesn't need a prior example to do a miracle for you. Miracles aren't based on facts. They rely on the character of our God who can do whatever he chooses to do. Have you ever wondered why Isaiah 7, 14 in this story? Have you ever wondered why, where do you, why we go back to the Old Testament and, and why they use Isaiah 7, 14 in prophecy about Jesus' birth with Mary and Joseph? Originally, this prophecy was given to King Ahaz. Did you know that? In 700 B.C. And by the way, have you thought about this? Have you ever wondered why, like, like there's B.C. And, and A.D. and why did they start it over? Why didn't they just keep, why did they have a B.C. and A.D.? Because something supernatural happened in our world and it was the birth of Jesus Christ and all the calendars changed. <laughs> I want you to turn back to Isaiah chapter 7. Look back at Isaiah chapter 7. Let's just look at this prophecy that, that was given originally to King, Isaac, uh, or King Ahaz from the prophet Isaiah. And this is the count. Look at Isaiah chapter 7. Let's just set it up. And let's see, why did they use 714? Was the prophecy fulfilled? Look what it says in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 1. When King Ahaz, son of Jothan, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Rezin of Aram, and Pekah, son of Ramiah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem. But they could not overpower it. It says, now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were what? What's your Bible say? Shaken. As the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. They were afraid. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son Shear Jeshub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field. I always think on the way to the laundromat. Verse four, say to him, be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid, do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood. I love the sarcasm. Because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the son of Ramalia. Aram, Ephraim, and Ramalia's son have plotted your ruin, Ahaz. Let us invade Judah. Let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabeel king over it. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. So pull away. 
Army wants to attack against God's people. Armies are lining together. They could do against one army, but now armies are lining together, and King Ahaz is afraid. So Isaiah steps in, he gives this prophecy, and this is what he says. Look what he says. Verse 7, yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not what? What's it say? You won't be destroyed. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Ramalia's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. There's a great verse to put on your refrigerator. Verse 10, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Why? Because he was still fearful. Ask the Lord your God for a sign. Ah, a sign. Prophecy. Whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. In other words, look for it. Look, keep looking. It's out there somewhere. But Ahaz said, I will not what? Ask. I will not put the Lord to test. Then Isaiah said, hear now. You house of David, it is not enough to try the patience of humans. Will you try the patience of God also? Boy, how often do we do that for lack of faith? Verse 14, here it is. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign, Ahaz. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a what? Son. And will call him what? Manuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he comes enough to... And knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For being the boy knows, but before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of two kings you dread will be laid waste. In other words, we're going to knock out your enemies. The Lord will bring on you and your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. In other words, you will win. We will raise up a son that will rule and you will win convincingly. You see, originally, this prophecy was given to King Ahaz. Ahaz doesn't want the word from Isaiah because he knows he will have to follow through with it. It happened. Someone in Ahaz's household had a baby and that was the sign. Like, there it is. Prophecy fulfilled. But hear me out. But didn't seem that big a deal. And for 700 years, it seemed like this was just a weird prophecy. But then the angel says, this is what it really means. A virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. Now let me help you understand language here because this is critical for this whole account. The Hebrew word virgin can mean two things. And here in the, the Isaiah, it means this. It means a girl of marriageable age. Or it means a girl who has never had sex. So it's one or two of those things. So as we can see from the context here, this was someone of marriageable age. will give birth, and she did. And God overcame the enemies. But we see in Matthew, it means someone who has not had prior sex. 
Ahaz thought it was delivering God's people from one army of enemies. Yet this prophecy was way more than that. He will deliver his people from all of their enemies with Jesus. God is good on his promises always and forever. Like that is just so, I wish I had hours to dig in. That is so rich along with hundreds of other prophecies being fulfilled. So what does that mean to you and me today? The reason many of us, hear me out, and listen, take this to heart, do a little heart check. The reason many of us never see miracles of God in our lives and relationships is because we stop believing and imagining he could ever do for us what only he can do. Amen? See, that's called doubt and cynicism and skepticism. Never stop believing and imagining and asking him. You see, he can do far more than we can ask, imagine, or ever, ever do. What else can we learn from this? God can do whatever he decides to do. If he wants to cause a virgin to conceive through the Holy Spirit just one time in history, he can do that. He's God. And he can do a one-time miracle for you too. But hear me out. Many of us forfeit the miracle by bailing out too soon. Those that wait upon the Lord, their strength shall be renewed. Joseph wanted initially, he considered, I'm going to get rid of this problem. I'm going to throw this problem away, get rid of her, divorce her. I'm going to move on and marry someone. But after he considered that, he had a word from the Lord. And he listened to the word from the Lord. Many of us try to take our problems into our own hands, work them out, and we never wait on a word from the Lord. God doesn't need a prior example to do a miracle for you. (laughs) Miracles aren't based on facts. They rely on the character of God. What else can we learn? It's worth sacrificing and denying ourselves for the name of Jesus. You might not in your lifetime like Joseph ever be vindicated. You might not ever see that happen. But hear me out. Sometimes we don't realize the significance and the faith of people and how much they're worth till after they're gone. But hear me out. When he stood before his Savior, after he passed on, it was worth it. Make sure you hear from the Lord before you decide to do anything privately. Isn't that what we're good at? I'll just take care of this and no one will know about it. I'll I'll just divorce this problem quietly. I'll just get rid of it. I'll do it in a noble way. No one will know. I don't want to hurt her. And all the while, the reason you're doing it is because you're selfish. You see, God became man without ceasing to be God. That just blows my mind. And by the way, if you can fully comprehend that, then you're way smarter than I can. God's ways are not like our ways. How could we ever understand the mysteries of our God? Quit trying to fully understand God. We are finite. He is infinite. That's what faith is for. He must be a man. 
He must be an infinite man. He must be an innocent man. The virgin birth guarantees that our Lord fulfilled all three of these. Because he was born of Mary, who is fully human. Because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, who is fully God. Because he is born holy, he is sinless in thought, word, and deed. Thus, he is fully qualified to be our Savior. Amen? Let me ask you a question here to try to demonstrate fully God and fully man. That's my jacket. This is my shirt. Do I have to wear my jacket in order to wear my shirt? Do I? Not a trick question. Like, are they connected? Like, did I have to have that on in order to have this on? No. And so if I so choose to put this on, then I still have this on. I don't have to have my jacket on to wear my shirt. It's much like the deity of our God. Think about this. My shirt represents God. Fully God. So as I stand here now, for sake of illustration, be careful, I'm fully God. You understand. (laughs) And for sake of illustration, this is fully man. So Jesus chose to clothe himself with humanity. He didn't have to wear the coat in order to wear the shirt. But he clothed himself with humanity. Fully God, fully man. And so when he wore his humanity on him, sometimes it was hard to see that he was God because his humanity clothed his godliness. But it didn't remove the fact that, guess what? While he was clothed fully humanity, he was still fully God. And from time to time, you'll see in Scripture where he did what? He chose to use his fully God power. He was fully God and fully man. Why? So that an innocent man, a pure man, a sinless man, could be born in Bethlehem, raised by a mother and father, die on a cross and be resurrected from the dead for you and for me. That's the story of Christmas. Amen? Only God would be willing to clothe himself with humanity. And sometimes it was hard for his brothers and sisters to see it, but I bet there were times I'll show you. But there were two people, one named Mary and one named Joseph, who believed that it was possible before he chose to clothe himself. Why? Because they had faith in their God. Oh God, give us that kind of faith. Amen? Oh Lord, I pray that we would never lose the wonder of this story. 
And God, I, I gained great respect for Mary and Joseph this week. Fresh respect for Joseph. He was never vindicated. He never had a chance for his friends to say, Joe, you were right. I respect your faith. He died before the resurrection. But God, we know that when he stood before you, he heard, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Oh God, give us that kind of faith. And God, thank you for sending Jesus to leave heaven and take on flesh and blood and humanity and to clothe himself to rescue us. You, God, are a good God. You, God, are a God worthy to be worshipped. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. See you next week.